Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with uh, with me this morning. Help me to be focused. Help me to be faithful. Help me to to look to you as I'm um, as I'm digging into the text, as I'm trying to preach the gospel, as I'm trying to be faithful. Um, I pray that uh, you would be with the folks who are here. That that they would uh, that they would hear from you, Lord God. That that um, despite the fact that I, I run long or tell the wrong stories sometimes or get confused in spots that the people would hear from you um, anyway, that it would be your spirit speaking, not my, uh, not me. Um, I praise you for being the God who, uh, who is with us, who we can rely on to, to take care of us in Jesus name. Amen. You can have a seat, Titus. You don't need to stand up the whole time. I'm going to uh, mix of sit and stand, uh, though that may have thrown off the camera component. Um, after I had you sit down, Titus, I'm sorry. I'm all right? All right. I don't mean it to be uh, a distraction. I, uh, I uh, a few weeks ago, had a great number of visits to the chiropractor because I hurt my back. Uh, and I uh, did so again this week. I've only gone once. And, uh, but I'm, I'm not very comfortable. And so I'm doing a little more sitting <clears throat> at the moment than standing, uh, so y'all are going to have to put up with that. Um, but here's the reason this happens, and this happens to me a lot. I am bad at life. I, I have no in-between. Um, if I'm going to have coffee, it's going to be mostly mud, and I, I'm going to drink it until I can't sleep for days and I shake constantly. Um, if I'm going to pick up a hobby, I am going to not do it for fun. I'm going to do it as a way of life for the next six months. Uh, and it drives my wife crazy. Um, if I am going to try and be healthier, I am going to try and be healthier to the point that I am a degradation to my own health and physical well-being. Um, because there is absolutely no in-between. Uh, and that is this week. I, my blood pressure and my cholesterol are both up. I need to lose weight. I need to change my diet. i got to start exercising. i got to do these things. And so I say, well, I'll walk. And I'll start lifting weights, and I start lifting weights, and I overdo it and hurt my back, uh, which I've done twice now in the space of two months. Uh, and and it's, it's not the case. Like, I'll set limits, and I'll say, all right, well, this is the limit, so I don't overdo it. And then eventually I'm going to get to the point where I'm like, well, if I don't do more, I'm not doing enough. And then what happens is I hurt myself, and I'm at the chiropractor, and I take a week off again, Right? Um, it is the difference between the spirit and the letter of the law, right? <laughs> the doctor said to lift weights, but the doctor said to lift weights so I would be healthy, not so that I would do it way too much and hurt myself. Um, but in my own head, I can't seem to manage that. And it is an oddball thing. Like, it just happens over and over and over again. Um, today we are going to be talking about the Sabbath again. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 3, so like... Like, uh, and we're going to talk about the Sabbath, what it is, and like how the spirit versus the letter of, of it can screw us up. And it's actually not just the Sabbath that this applies to. It applies to everything. Um, the spirit versus the letter, desiring to be like Christ, desiring to follow Christ versus desiring to check the box or be better than the other guy or do just enough or whatever. Like, it can mess us up spiritually and physically, I guess. Um, a little background. Last week we were talking about um, the disciples were traveling with Jesus, 
right? Traveling along. And as they travel along, I forgot to start my timer. Uh, so there'll be an extra couple of minutes in there. Sorry. That's all bonus. Um, as they're traveling along, they're traveling along on a Sabbath and they get hungry, um, assuming they're not traveling very far because you couldn't travel very far on the Sabbath. They get hungry as they're cutting through a grain field, like, and there were roads that would go through grain fields. I read about that this week. Um, and the disciples started pulling bits of uh, kernels off the, the heads of grain, and they were eating them because they're hungry. And the Pharisees saw it, and they got mad, and they said, well, wait a minute, your guys are violating the law against harvesting on the Sabbath. And Jesus has this engagement with them where he talks about this idea that, look, the Sabbath exists so that we can enjoy God's presence, so we can be with him, not so that we can be miserable or starve to death. Um, if you want to jump into last week's sermon uh, for that, like I, that's, that's really, you know, like, like anyway, um, I'm not going to do the whole thing again today is the point. Um, in the meantime, what we begin to see happening is, number one, like Mark is traveling out this like increase in tension and conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities. And it is going to build up to his execution, right? And it happens quick. Um, and actually, this second half of the Sabbath argument, it's paired together in all of the synoptic gospels. Titus, shh, sit down. Spirit and letter, buddy. Focus. No, what are you doing? I already traded them. Stop. Don't be obnoxious. For those of you guys, I've got two rows of kids here um, who have copies of the Action Bible. And one of the stories we have is going to be in the Action Bible. I'm going to have you guys read it to yourselves while we're going so that you got a part. Hey, no, I don't, stop. The point of that was, oh my Lord, how did you do that? The point of it was that the younger guys would have something to do so they would be engaged and they wouldn't be distracting. Spirit and letter. Oh my gosh, I should have just known that was, anyway. Um, So the synoptic gospels all put these two stories together. The synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all tell very similar stories. They use similar wording. They're all interconnected. But they all tell these stories, the story of the the Sabbath, like collecting grain, and the story of what happens next. They're always together, right? And so um, that's important because it presents a certain argument about the Sabbath and about the law and about obeying God. Um, Finally, last thing here. So they're after him about eating on the Sabbath. He is about to heal on the Sabbath. Sorry, that was the spoiler alert. I apologize. Um, but healing on the Sabbath, there were like whole law books written on how much you could do on the Sabbath to administer medical attention without it becoming work. Because the Jews were like, well, you can't work on the Sabbath, so if you stitch up a gaping wound, that's work. You just got to do enough so they don't bleed to death. And then take care of it tomorrow, right? Um, Of course, the problem with this is that it's insane, right? Like, the Sabbath isn't there to make our lives miserable. It's not there to crush us. It's there to give us a break. And they were using it as a club, as a source of misery, as though, like, the more miserable you are, the more it's working. And that's not the point. And so they saw these guys eating, and they get mad. Um, In this sense, like, healing was not something you were allowed to do on the Sabbath. And so they're waiting for Jesus to violate the Sabbath. The particular reason for it is, um, it is a reason for them to discredit him. It is an easy and obvious. Like, any time they'd argue theology with him, he'd just beat the tar out of them. 
And so then instead of arguing theology, instead of arguing law, instead of arguing Bible, they just tried to trap him into violating the Sabbath. And if they did that enough, in theory, they could discredit him or what have you. And so, like, that's what they're doing. They've set up a situation whereby he will be uh, tricked into violating the Sabbath. I'm not going to – that was last week's text. I was going to read it. I'm not today. Um, So the big important idea, before we dive into this, understand the attitude of the Pharisees coming into this is devious, right? They are self-centered. They're arrogant. Their, their way is the winning way. And perhaps you've encountered people like that in the world where, like, their, their ideology, their politics, their preference, whatever, is the only thing that matters. And they'll wrap themselves up in righteousness in the name of destroying you because you disagree with them. Um, I'm not saying that happens, but it definitely happens. It's in human nature. And we see that in these guys. They're devious. They're self-interested. And finally, they are not righteous. Their character, the fundamental nature of who they are, is broken. Because they don't care about God. They care about themselves. And so, like, they have set up the situation uh, in chapter 3. So, like, they're out of the grain fields. And another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now, the word shriveled hand here... Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of debate and writing about exactly what's happening. Um, the idea is it's either like been damaged and like has begun to to degrade. It might just be paralyzed. It is something that he was probably not born with. He probably sustained an injury that resulted in it, and that's kind of important. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but he's got this shriveled hand, so he's only got one hand that works. It's kind of a problem in life most days. Um, and some of them were looking for reasons to accuse Jesus. Um, so they've, the general assumption is they brought this guy in. Hey, you probably need to be healed. Come on out. Hang out. Let's see what he does. It's our trap. And so they're waiting for him to violate the Sabbath law by healing this man. Now, out of the gate, you want to hit brakes here, right? He's going to heal the guy. He's going to use, like, the power of God to miraculously heal the guy. And they're like, but if he does it on the wrong day, God hates him. Oh, my goodness. What kind of madness is that, right? Um, And so, oh, I'm sorry. I'll sit back down. Um, And so this man with his shriveled hand, right, like, he's there. They're like, oh, we're going to trick him. Like, he's going to perform a miracle. And, like, then we've got him. So some of them were looking for a reason to accuse him. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, real quick, I have a diagram. It's cool. Uh, this is actually the, uh, like, artist, the one is an artist rendition. The other is a, like, sort of layout of the uh, synagogue in Capernaum, right? And we're going to assume it's pretty typical, and from what I've read it is. You'll look, there is no seat in the middle. It's not like this, right? Because what you would do is you would have, like, a lectern in the middle of the room, And then everybody would sit on the walls. In bigger synagogues, you would have special places for women to sit and special places for men to sit. Or the women just didn't come. Um, And children didn't come. They They would have it all separated out. But the Pharisees would have been lined up, and they're watching him. And this man with a shriveled hand is in the room. He's sitting on it. It's not chairs. It's like a steps, and you would sit on the steps. Um, and the person in the middle would speak, and you would listen to him. And he would be in front of everyone. It was like theater in the round. And so they're there. Um, there's no preferred seating, so it's not like the Pharisees have taken the best seats. But they're, they're present. They're in the crowd. They're watching. And Jesus is apparently up front talking because that happened everywhere he went. 
Um, if I was here preaching and, you know, Paul Washer or uh, David Jeremiah or somebody who, like, is actually a good preacher showed up, I would probably offer to let them preach and sit down. You know why? Because <laughs> they're better than me. <laughs> and, like, I would rather hear them speak than speak to them. Does that make sense? So Jesus shows up, and they're going to listen to the guy because he is brilliant, and everybody wants to hear what he has to say. And so he's present. He's in the middle of the room. The man with the shriveled hand is there. Jesus sees him. Um, by the way, I'm going to jump over to Matthew. Matthew has a variant in his version of this story. They're both accurate. They're both telling different parts of the story for different reasons. Everybody with me? Um, and Matthew emphasizes some of the legal argument, and we're going to touch on that very briefly. There's actually, oh, my gosh, like page after page after page of what actually is going on here because Jesus somehow, because he's God, knows the Jewish law better than anyone else. And he's like playing chess with them, only he's tricking them constantly and they don't know how to do anything with him. He's like leading them around by their noses and they hate arguing with him and so they get to this point where they're like, well, don't argue with him because we'll lose. Um, it's like modern politics. Uh, I did not say that. I'm sorry. That was horrible. Um, and so there he is, uh, and a man is there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. So they think we've set a trap. And he's going to say yes because he does everything on the Sabbath. He's already healed on the Sabbath. We've seen him do it. And then we'll have him. And they've got all their arguments prepared and everything else, and they are ready. Now, the attitudes, and hit pause here, they do not care about the guy with the withered hand. Like, this is not a small thing. They do not care at all. The attitude toward people who are disabled, in the, like, like blind people, for example. If you read the Torah, like the super, like actually righteous Jewish people would look at the blind and they would treat them with enormous amounts of respect and they were loving and they would show them extra honor and grace and they would take care of them. And then you get to like, this level, people who, like at this time, amongst the average person, the attitude was, well, that guy is disabled because he sinned and God is punishing him. It's on him. Got it? <laughs> Not a very nice way to look at people. So if I look at somebody and I say, well, you know, your, your leg is broken. I'm really sorry about that. What did you do to tick God off? What? <laughs> um, and so that was the attitude. And we see that actually uh, elsewhere. But Jesus says to this guy, stand up in front of everyone, right? He says to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So now everyone's looking at him. You got to think for this guy, this is a bad day, right? Anybody want to stand up in front of the church? Like, <laughs> this is the last place this guy wants to be. Um, this is the last place most people want to be on a normal day. But if everybody looks at you and says, that guy's horrible, you really don't want it. Um, the example I have, and guys who have the Action Bible... By the way, I'm going to try and do this every week. I'm going to put it in the slides with the page number. But there is a bookmark there. You can read this story yourselves. Um, as he went along, this is Jesus and the disciples are traveling into Jerusalem in this text. This is the book of John. As they were traveling along, they saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, reading that, for years, I assumed that they said this at a respectful distance where nobody heard them right? It's a little like if my wife and I were in a mall and we were looking at someone and I would ask, do you think that person's house is on fire when they got dressed this morning? Like, 
I mean, it's just not the sort of thing you say, like, especially not in front of anyone. They're actually standing right next to him because Jesus, like, immediately heals him. The guy can hear him. He knows everybody thinks that either he sinned or his parents sinned, and God punished him by making him blind. So nobody even feels sorry for him, right? Like, and he's got to live in this culture. And so they ask him that, and Jesus responds, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. And then he heals him. And the cool thing that goes beyond that is he has to go to the temple and present himself. So he goes to the temple, and they're like, Well, wait a minute, that Jesus guy, we don't like him. Obviously he didn't heal you. You must be a fake. This must be fake. And they start making accusations. They bring his parents in to testify, and the parents are terrified. And they're like, We don't... You you talk to him. He's an adult. Leave us out of this because they know they're in trouble. And finally, the Pharisees get to this point where they're asking him and asking him and asking him. And he's getting a little smart mouth, which I assume builds up over time of being hated by most of the town because you can't see. Um, You know, they say your other senses and other skills like develop. And for this guy, apparently it's his tongue because he says the man answered because they've asked him and asked him and asked him. Now, this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man before. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they responded, as the Pharisees, to this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Ooh. You ever hear somebody say that? Well, you can't say anything because you're terrible, or you are drunk, or you are you know, a thief, or you are a member of the wrong party, or you are the wrong this or that or the other. And at the end of the day, the guy, like he's speaking the truth and they got nothing. The only thing they have is to say, we're better than you. You're sinful. We're not. You can't lecture us. Don't. And so they show him the door. And actually, they kicked him out of the synagogue, which means that he has gone from being blind and an outcast to being a straight-up outcast because, like, to be excluded from the synagogue was to be excluded from the entire community. It was to, like, the Amish call it shunning. Shun. Shun the non-believer, right? And so now he is out, and nobody talks to him. He can't do business, but he can see. That wasn't that funny. And so this man has stood up. Nobody likes him. They don't love him. Don't care that he's handicapped. They don't care that Jesus might heal him. They don't care about any of that stuff. They straight up like he's garbage. It was the cultural attitude. This was the standard. And he was a way to trap Jesus. And that's it. And so he's up there. And like Jesus argues with them to the point where they cannot say anything else. And then he does something else. He speaks prophetically. He knows their hearts, and he says something that indicts them before they do anything, and it's amazing. So we're going to get to this. I never caught it until today, or this week, actually. I read this verse a million times, never, ever caught it. Then Jesus answered them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. So Jesus asked them a pretty obvious question, right? So it's the Sabbath. Is it lawful to do good stuff or bad stuff? And, like, we all know that, right? Like, it's never lawful to do bad stuff. Of course it's lawful to do good stuff on the Sabbath. 
their answer wants to be, no, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. So you can allow evil to happen. You can allow good to go undone, but you can't do anything. And then he adds this other thing, to save a life or to kill. Now, they're not trying to kill anyone at this point, right? But he asks them to save a life or to kill. And hold that in your head because we're going to come back to it, right? All they want him to do is heal the guy so they can accuse him, right? Do something to heal him. As it turns out, trapping Jesus is hard, by the way. Um, In Matthew, he includes a rabbinical argument. Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, would not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Here's the tricky part. It was not lawful to pull a sheep out of a hole on the Sabbath. You had to feed it in the hole. The law said that. You lower food down to it. You feed the sheep in the hole, and the next morning you pull it out of the... That's crazy, right? The thing that he is referring to is actually a particular section of the law that says if a man has only one sheep, if he's poor and destitute, and his only means of sustenance is stuck in a hole, you're going to rescue it, right? Like, you, you're going to figure out a way to do it because you're not going to let your family starve. Like, it would be insane and wicked to let your family starve because you were trying to follow some guy's addition to the law. So he asks them, listen, can you do what is good on the Sabbath? Here's, there's a trick to this, and I'll get to what Jesus is getting at in a little bit at the end. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful, I'm going to go back reading it again just so you know, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill, but they remained silent. They remained silent because they didn't care what the truth was. Got it? They didn't care. They did not care. They cared about winning. They cared about attacking Jesus. They cared about authority. They cared about getting their way. In theory, they loved God, but they loved their version of how God works and their version of how the world should work. Um, I, uh, I'm going to very carefully say something. I, uh, I'm on Twitter a lot. I have a lot of friends on Twitter. I talk to a lot of ministers. I get sermon advice and interact with people about different like uh, things in the scriptures. It is a wonderful resource. Um, there's also an awful lot of really horrible, nasty, mean arguing. And one of the things that I've seen a lot about in the last six months is top secret documents. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, one president had top secret documents, and then the other president on the other team had top secret documents. And it's amazing how the people who are crowing about one side or saying it's okay about their guy are all of a sudden shutting up or yelling when it's on the other foot. Because when it all boils down, none of them actually cared at all what was right. They cared about winning. Because if something is wicked and wrong once, it's wicked and wrong all the time. That's these guys. They don't care. I'm not trying to get into politics. Don't say, Eric's doing this. Eric's doing I don't, it's, it's an illustration. Because these guys did not care about what was right, what was righteous, what was good. They cared about winning. They cared about destroying Jesus. They cared about, like, trumping this guy who kept um, the wrong phrasing. They cared about... <laughs> Oh, I gotta stretch my back a second. Sorry, guys. There's a little bit of cramps there, and they 
cared about one-upping Jesus. They cared about winning an argument that they couldn't win any other way. And so they're willing to be hypocrites. They wanted to trap him. They, they wanted their way. They didn't care about God. Um, Jesus' response is emotional, and it's very brief, and it's then followed by righteous action. This is important to understand, because you will see hypocrites. You will see wicked men. You will see people who are broken and in rebellion, people who will insult you, people who will talk about you badly, people who will cheat you, people who will do all kinds of stuff. And how we respond, in particular, how we respond to hypocrisy is powerful, right? So he looks around at them. Before we finish this, there's like five times when Jesus looks around at people in Mark's gospel. And it's always when he's about to like, like lay down the winning hand. He's got the second joker. It's a joker, right? I'm really bad at that game. I, he's about to lay down the second joker. And like, it's the joker's the, the dominant card in Pinochle, right? Or is it the, it's the ace? All right. He's about to lay down his winning card and he's got it. And he looks around at them. That Jesus does this over and over again, where he looks at everybody in the room and he gives them two beats and he times it and then he says what he's going to say and it's like, burn. And everybody knows they've lost. And in this instance, he looks around at them. He becomes angry and deeply distressed. Some translations call it sorrowful. Sometimes it's phrased sorrowful at their hard hearts because he looks at these men who should be God's people. They should be God's beloved. They should be righteous soldiers in God's community. They should be heroes. And what he sees they are is petty and selfish and empty. And they are hard-hearted because they love their own way more than they love God himself. And it is a brutal, just horrible thing. And Jesus is heartbroken looking at them. And he is furious because they won't even say, you got to do good stuff on the Sabbath. Oh, my goodness. And so sitting there silent, they watched him. He was distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now watch this. He did not touch him. He did not make mud and spread it on the guy's hand. He didn't shake his hand. He didn't jump up and down and sing. He didn't pray. He didn't throw stuff. He didn't anything. He said, hey, reach out your hand. Guess how many Sabbath laws that violates? None. Because, like, really, you can't beat Jesus, right? Like, you just can't. He's always going to win. Try arguing with him in your life and see how it turns out. You will always lose. And you'll come out better for it. Now, the man stretched out his hands, and his hand was completely restored. A normal reaction at this point is, oh, my goodness, did you see that? Right? Like, if I suddenly healed somebody who had been lame from birth or, like, had a hand that was all shriveled up, and I said, reach out your hand, and it was, like, whole... Man, I, I better make the paper. Those guys can barely write. They should. <laughs> but, like, seriously, I, this is a big deal. None of us see stuff like that. These guys should be excited. They should be saying, oh, my, wow, God did something awesome. They should be praising God. They should be singing. They should be excited. But because the good thing happened, but it was their enemy that did it, the good thing is completely negated by their desire. Right and wrong when they become relative to me winning, become nothing. And that's where these guys are at. It's just where they're at. Their hearts are hard. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians 
how they might kill Jesus. This is a super loaded thing. The very first thing they did was they went out and they began to plot, which does violate the Sabbath laws. So the very first thing they did was, is it lawful to do right or to do evil, to save life or to kill on the Sabbath? And their response is, we're going to work to kill on the Sabbath. And not only that, they went to the Herodians. The Pharisees, these are guys who are like supporters of Herod. Everybody hated Herod. Everybody hated all of the Herods. All right? Like there was one guy here, the great, like who probably named himself, and he was a monster. And then like his kids were terrible. They were immoral. This is Herod the Great who married his brother's wife, like not his ex-wife. Married his brother's wife. And the Jews are like furious about this. But they go to the Herodians, which is a group of people that super support Herod because they get political favors, which the Pharisees are really ticked off about. They would want nothing to do with these guys in normal life, but they're willing to join teams with the bad guy because he's going to be on our team against Jesus. Wow. But the problem is that their hearts are so hard. They're so infected and broken and dead inside, so filled with, with, with misery and bitterness and self-interest and selfishness and everything else. They're so stuck in this place that they can't hear Jesus. You know, when the, the blind see, when the blind man in John is given sight, Jesus talks to him afterwards. He's been cast out of the, the synagogue, and he says, well, listen, you... You can see you were born blind. Those guys are guilty because they can see, but they're blind. And so it is with these Pharisees. They're blind. Can't see a thing. Cannot see it. All they care about is their way. So what are the big ideas? I thought about different ways to preach this. I wanted to tell that story because that is just crazy, isn't it? Jesus said, hey, is it right to kill on the Sabbath? Well, who's talking about killing anyone? Now they are. And here begins this process of trying to murder Christ. And so the concepts here, like what are the big things behind this? For, for starters, it shows us who God is. God cares about righteousness. God cares about our character. God cares that we are through and through his people. Um, I was reading about uh, Jesus and how he dealt with the law. And a lot of times Jesus was seen as a guy who loosened the law up. Look, he's violating the Sabbath. Um, but in reality, Jesus made the law way more difficult like the law do not look at another woman lustfully right you know if you do so you're committing adultery and so then like people would say well yeah i'm checking out the local like uh you know female entertainment but i'm not having an affair with them so i'm not committing adultery he's like well no the moment you start looking at other women and lusting after them like you're done you've already done it why because it's not enough to say i'm not cheating on my wife if i'm also going to the internet websites where i'm not supposed to go Get what I'm saying? You can't say I'm righteous because I haven't cheated if you look at other women on the Internet. Can't do it. Can't do it. You can't say, oh, I didn't kill anyone, but I hate every person who does not go my way and think you're all right. Because righteousness begins in your heart and it grows out from there. And the Sabbath, in this instance, Jesus interprets the Sabbath as a day where we take off from work for the purpose of spending time and delighting with God. And some of that, like which the Pharisees would say, yeah, that's what we believe. But Jesus would say, it's an opportunity to do good work. 
Every man in the room, all right? Men, how much do you love it when you manage to do something, a project with your wife that does not involve you arguing? That, no, I know, it's another miracle. We're talking about miracles. It's like, uh, in reality, um, I, I was reading about, uh, actually, I've talked to several men recently who say, yeah, my wife and I play Xbox together now. And I love it because she sits down and plays video games with me. Right? You know why that's wonderful? Because you're doing stuff together. The way men worship God best sometimes is to do his work with him in our rest time. Feeding hungry people. Watching other people's kids so they can go on a date. Oh my gosh. Mowing a shut-in's lawn. Showing up at a broken person's house with a plate of cookies and a, is there anything you need done around here? Like, working next to God is the best thing we can do on the Sabbath. Serving with him. And Jesus' interpretation of the Sabbath is we take a day off so we can enjoy God's company by doing good works. Wow. Whereas the Pharisees are saying we take the day off and do nothing unless we make God angry. And so Jesus' righteous act is a good work. Um, Whereas the self-serving acts of the Pharisees is just evil. It's hypocritical. So how do we apply this? First off, we've got to guard our hearts. I know this is hard, right? Anybody ever gossip about someone because you know they deserve it? I'm just saying. I know we don't gossip. <laughs> Big Sandy is the rare small town where gossip doesn't happen. But you ever talk trash about somebody because they deserved it? Well, I wouldn't gossip about anyone else but that guy, Right? You ever pour gas on the fire being bitter at somebody in your life because they earned it? And you're right to be angry and bitter and hateful. We have to guard our hearts. Because ultimately, if somebody wrongs me, that's not so good. It's not something I like. But, like, I wrong people all the time, and I need God to forgive me. And those people are people that Jesus died for, whether they know it or not. Our job is to love people, even the awful ones. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say, especially the awful ones. When you look at what happens in the ministry of Christ, Christ gravitates to the worst people. And they accuse him because of it. He's a drunk. Look at that. He spends time with prostitutes. Why? Because he came for the sick. They're the ones who need a doctor, not the healthy. Our job isn't to allow people to mistreat us, isn't to allow people to abuse us, isn't to be walked all over. It's to love people like Christ, is to delight in being Christ to people who don't deserve it. We have to guard our hearts that that's always where our allegiance is because it's really easy for our allegiance to become about our politics, isn't it? It's really easy for our allegiance to be about the budget. It is really easy for our allegiance to be about the building or the youth group or one thing or another, and all of those things will ultimately fracture righteousness in you because devotion to Christ is what we're about. Devotion to each other as members of the body of Christ is what we're about. The Sabbath exists for delighting in God and rest, doing good works, expanding the kingdom. 
um, my challenge for you guys, I know it's a Sabbath sermon, right? It's really hard to get away from that. But ultimately, the Sabbath, like in this text, it illustrates everything. It's where your heart's at. Good works come out of your heart. Righteousness comes out of your heart. You know, I, I said last week that if you, re, like, if you resent people for saying yes to do, doing work they ask you to do, anybody ever get that? Like, I can't say no because I'll feel guilty, so I have to do it. And you resent them, like, you're not probably doing yourself any favors or anyone else. In reality, if you look at work and you say, I can change people's lives. I can preach the gospel today. I can love somebody that nobody else loves. That's how I became a Christian. People treated me nice at church. It was the only place outside of my house anybody treated me well. And I said, I don't know what these people got, but I want it. Because a couple of people were nice to me at a picnic. My eternity got changed. Holy what? That's what Sabbath exists for. That's what the law exists for. So we love and we treat people righteously. So we walk in humble community with God. And it all derives out of faith in Christ. Christ lives in us and makes us new. I'm going to close in prayer, but my challenge for you going out of here today is to look at your heart, look at your life, look at the motivation that drives stuff. Look at the ways that you thread the needle of good and evil in your own life. Oh, I don't steal. I just take the extra that I should have been paid in the first place. Or whatever, right? Look at how you thread the needle in your own life and ask yourself, is this about the spirit of Christ in me or not? If you need to talk about it, come talk to me. If you got resentment you can't put away, I did it for years, and I finally learned how to put it away. If you need to talk about that, come talk to me. If, if you can't get over your anger over one thing or another, your bitterness or your sorrow, come talk to me. We'll talk about how Jesus can fix it. Let's pray, and I will let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just be with us. I pray that we would be people who are after your own hearts, like King David was described, Lord. That we would be people who, like with Christ in us and your Holy Spirit growing out of us, the fruit of the Spirit would rise up, Lord God. I pray that we would be the kind of people who can laugh with children as they throw things back and forth across the center aisle instead of saying, that's not how you behave in church, son. I pray that you would help us to be people who love and are patient and show grace and act like Christ to everyone we encounter. Thank you so much for Jesus dying for us. Thank you so much for the children who are here and are amazing and wonderful to have around. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the Sabbath rest that we have, for the spirit and the letter of the law that makes us like you. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for putting up with me sitting down, guys.